This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. He was always planting dreams wherever he went. In fact, that's the title of the biography is The Dream Planter, which he came up with himself. You know, that's what he did. He just planted dreams wherever he went and inspired people. And that was contagious. And everyone who who came in contact with them then went off with this inspiration and and created dreams of their own and on and on and on. And, And it's that ripple, you know, you toss that pebble in the in the in the pool and it just ripples out bigger and bigger and bigger. Today's episode comes to you from Costa Rica and is a reflection about Rafael Gallo. Rafa, as Rafael was known, was a boater, a tree planter, a businessman, a river protector, an international organizer, a rafting coach, a conduit of peace, a father, and a husband. In March of this year, 2021, Rafa's life came to an end. A friend of mine recently asked if I knew Rafa Gallo. My answer of no spurred a biographical diatribe expressing how badass Rafa was and is in the river world. An international powerhouse who worked to establish a presidential moratorium on damming his favorite river, the Rio Pacuare in Costa Rica. A man who reforested lands and helped bring back the green macaw. The same person who taught Colombian FARC revolutionaries to find peace through river guiding. Who co-founded the International Rafting Federation who ran a highly successful rafting adventure tree planting company in Costa Rica. A man known all around the planet by his friends and river pals for dreaming and doing and building and leading and boating. The list goes on and on. A man who in his last months of life established a river conservation organization to continue protecting the Rio Pacuare and planting trees in Costa Rica. The more I listened and read and researched, I found this man's story exceptionally compelling and of value for all of us to hear. So I contacted the WhatsApp number I found online and asked if an interview was possible with family and colleagues. The answer was yes, but it had to happen after they planted 1,000 trees in honor of Rafa. On the Monday after the trees were planted, I was able to talk with two people in a full conversation about Rafa. My guest, Roberto Gallo Jimenez, the son of Rafael Gallo, and Shannon Farley, friend, personal assistant, and biographer of Rafael Gallo. We start with each of them introducing themselves. Uh, well, my name is uh, Roberto Gallo Jimenez. I'm Rafael Gallo's son. I've lived uh, I mean, my entire life under him, like um, river guiding. Uh, he taught me everything I know about rivers. Uh, and then after high school, I left to the U.S. to study civil engineering, kind of also following his steps as a industrial engineer, which he never practiced. Uh, but then I did study for four years and then worked there for three years uh, as a civil engineering uh, in Jacksonville, Florida. And then I came back to Costa Rica and I've been um, in charge of uh, his uh, rafting company and uh, also the new Rafa Association that uh, we've created in, in his legacy. And, and to be clear, you, you said you grew up in Costa Rica. I grew up in Costa Rica. Uh, I lived here for 18 years. And then after that, I moved to the U.S. And Roberto, uh, you have two sisters. Is that right? Yeah, I do have two sisters. Yeah. And are your sisters also boaters? 
Uh, one of my sisters is, uh, she also went to the Ottawa kayak school and she learned how to kayak. Her name is Claudia. And uh, she now is a yoga teacher. Uh, so she does that mostly, but she still paddles every now and then. My sister who's um, involved with the conservation properties is Andrea Martin. She keeps everything tidy because she's a, she's a lawyer. So thankfully she can help me on that end about keeping everything the right way uh, keeping all the regulations with Costa Rica government, um, international fees and all that stuff. She does raft, but she doesn't kayak or anything like that. Uh, my mom is uh, called Alejandra Jimenez. She, she does know how to raft and she also learned how to kayak, uh, but she doesn't do it per se that much. But she's very involved with the, at least with the river community. She's very known. Great. Shannon? My name is Shannon Farley. I am originally from Ventura, California. That's in Southern California. And I am a journalist by my original career. And I've worked in tourism as well for about 25 years or so. I've lived in Russia and I moved to Costa Rica in 1999 to work with Rafa Gallo in Rios Tropicales developing team building and he uh, sent me to his guide school to learn how to river guide and I did a bunch of other things and then I came back into working with Rafa in 2016 and uh, was originally just going to write a few blogs for him here and there and basically turned into his press secretary on the first weekend that I was back working for him because we were doing a massive 5,000 tree planting to make the Adventure Travel Trade Association summit carbon neutral. And then I developed into being his personal assistant. And now I'm, I'm carrying forward his legacy with Roberto and in, in helping head up the Rivers and Forests Alliance. And out of curiosity, are you now a Costa Rican citizen? I am. I'm, my husband is Costa Rican and I became a Costa Rican citizen. So I have dual citizenship. And Roberto, do you also have dual citizenship? I do. My dad uh, was born in the U.S., so I, I am a U.S. citizen. And then technically also my mom was born in Canada, so I'm also a Canada citizen. But I don't have that one. I, I, like, I don't use it because I can only have the two, U.S. and Costa Rica. So, you know, this, this episode's about Rafael Gallo. Can you both take a turn to tell me who this man is? I think you both have, obviously, you both have different relationships but I barely know the guy. I know him from reading, and I think a lot of listeners don't know him at all, and some might know him a little bit. Can you both take time to tell us who Rafael Gallo was? Well, being Rafa, Rafa's son, uh, he really taught me absolutely everything I know about rivers. Uh, I think I learned to swim in the river. Uh, that's where he taught me. And um, he was a very eccentric guy, crazy ideas, big ideas. Uh, but he got people to follow him. Uh, so he always had these big ideas of, of doing projects along the rivers, uh, stopping a, a dam, um, even the Colombian, uh, bringing people from, from army to rivers. So he had these big ideas about um, changing people about, about their view of uh, conservation, sustainability. He left that legacy on me. Uh, he bought many, many lands just for pure conservation purposes along the Pecuaria Basin. And to this date, we still have those properties. 
the, the main goal is still to protect them and keep having that biological corridor alive. But yeah, he was that kind of guy that he just took me everywhere. He gave me the opportunity to travel the world as well. I went to Holland, to Colombia, to the US, to Canada, Spain, Italy, everywhere, because he always uh, was part of the IRF and he taught me about how everything works with, uh, with uh, World Rafting Championships. He did not have the patience to teach me personally how to kayak and raft. He taught me the essentials and he sent me to, to Ottawa Kayaking School. And then I came back to work with him and I, and I learned how to safety kayak, how to guide. And um, I had the great opportunity to, to guide with him in a couple of trips. Shannon, you want to you take a turn? Rafa, a couple of years ago, asked me to write his biography. And I'm in the process of doing that. I know about his parents and how his father said he skipped walking and he went from crawling to running at about eight months. That just says something about who Rafa was. He was always in motion. He was always doing and going and planning and visioning. He got into paddling at University of Tennessee in the late 70s. He was already a swim champion. He had been El Salvador's swim champion in the butterfly stroke. And he got into swimming as an exchange student in the United States when he was in high school. And he grew up on, on a lake in El Salvador, going there every weekend called Lake Ilopango. And he was you know, into water skiing and, and swimming. And so he was just natural in the water. And that just translated into him being an amazing paddler. And he competed around the world. And then, you know, came to Costa Rica to work in rafting in 1984 and then founded his own company in 1985, Rios Tropicales. As he was competing in kayaking and in the 90s, they saw that there weren't a lot of rules happening or the rules kept changing. So he and several other big people in the paddling community said, no, we got to make some rules here. And so they created the International Rafting Federation. And... Rafa was a champion of, of river safety and developing river safety standards and guide training for the IRF around the world. He also promoted rafting and kayaking around the world, and he was inducted into the Whitewater Hall of Fame in 2009 for his championing of, of river safety and, and standards and also for sustainability and everything that he did with the environment. He always linked the sport outdoor sports of paddling with taking care of where you paddle. So taking care of the environment and where you, you went and nature, buying the, the rainforest bit by bit, bringing back the wildlife, making sure on two occasions that the Pequari didn't get dammed. And at the moment, the Pequari has a presidential moratorium on it until 2040, that it can't be dammed here in Costa Rica. He led the the fight in 1990, 1991 against the first dam attempt. You know, in, at some level, you, you've described your dad, Rafa's relationship with rivers. Um, and I feel like it's on that professional level, on that level of organizing and creating these foundations and, and um, doing work that brings these, these awards to him and this recognition. But I would like to ask about his relationship with rivers as much as you can tell me on a personal level and I think about myself that, you know, for instance, next week I'm going to go on this big river trip with a bunch of scientists and we're looking at all this stuff and there'll be all these people talking big ideas about rivers. And I know that when I go on these trips, I 
and I will watch other people go have their moments where they just get quiet and just are next to the river, whatever they're doing, drinking coffee or staring or thinking or taking a nap or reading a book and just enjoying that that more intimate personal relationship with the water. Can you tell me about Rafa's kind of that deeper relationship he had with rivers that you know of? He he was a very passionate person. So whenever he went to the river, you could see the passion that he had for rivers in his eyes. Um, and I, I have a very good memory that I think I was very young and we went to the river and there's a little cable crossing that you can take, uh, like a little box with a cable that you can go through. But he did not want to go through that. He just wanted to cross the river swimming because he just wanted to be part of the river. That's how he was. He he always wanted to be involved with the river. He didn't want to have easier options to get around. He always wanted to have the opportunity to go down a river, no matter no matter what his condition was at the moment. And uh, even when when he got sick with a uh, with pancreatic cancer, uh, his his dream was to be able to go to the river again and uh, we did have the opportunity to to go to the like the put-in where we have the rafts and um, the first thing that he did was he put his head in the water he couldn't go in the water but at least he put his head in the water and that that meant everything for him so that's his his connection to the river he always has to be part of it and that's how he's going to live on forever Today's episode is sponsored by Jack's Plastic Welding, home of the Paco Pad, builder of catarafts and rafts of any size. All products from Jack's Plastic Welding are made in the United States at their factory in Aztec, New Mexico. I row a Jack's Plastic Cataraft and have seen their factory in action. Recently, I spoke with Marlena at Jack's Plastic to learn more about how they build their boats. My name is Marlena Evans Kinlachini. I'm pretty much all-around fabricator. I sew, I glue, you know, I do a lot of the welding. My specialty is boats. I like boats. I put a boat together. There's a person before me cuts all the pieces. So it's like a big jigsaw puzzle, right? And you pretty much just lay all the parts together. You weld. There's different kinds of welds. With all those pieces, I would make a whole boat, like uh, inflatable, you know, like a conventional raft or one of the cutthroats. You know, it's two tubes that fits with the frame to make a full boat. You have rollers and the plastic rolling at a certain speed with heat and air, it'll weld plastic together. RFing, a different type of weld instead of hand welding. It's a radio frequency that is automatic. Basically, it cooks it like a microwave and welds it together. So there's logos, D-rings, and handles, right? We have the RF machine where it does a lot of clean welds for us. And yes, they prefer that. So it will come out looking nice. There's at least three guys that make Paco pads you can take to go camping. They make about a thousand pads a month and that's all they do all month. There's different sizes, truck pads, fools, and guides ranging from one inch to four inch thickness. A shout out from everyone at Jack's Plastic Welding. 
it's pretty awesome. I enjoy it here. Jack's Plastic Welding has been building all of their Paco pads, boats, and bags in New Mexico since 1982, employing 17 community members in northwest New Mexico. You can find Jack's Plastic Welding online at www.jpwinc.com. That is www.jpwinc.com. Tell them the River Radius sent you. I think it's expected that a, a, a rafting company will have a guide training school. It's just kind of like a normal thing of wherever you go in the in the in the river in the river world. And yet, I when I when I read through the different articles that I could find online about Rafa, it seemed to me that there was something uh, maybe a bit more, uh, just a little more intentional, a little more passionate as you both have spoken about around that teaching of river guides and I want to get into the Columbia story here after this but just in general can you talk about how he engaged and taught people to become river guides that then would go on to do that work probably professionally well uh he when he came to to raft and uh, in Costa Rica he was working with um with another company uh, a U.S. Uh, citizen guy um, and then he, after that, he broke off and he created his own company, Rios Tropicales. And that was his main goal was to, to teach people how to, how to raft. Uh, so he grabbed people from the community and he actually bought the first little plot of land right next to the river. And there was this huge family that lived there, which was this lady with uh, 15 kids. So he taught seven of them to be river guides. And uh, to this date, uh, at least five of them still continue to guide and are probably the best guides that I know because they grew up in the river and they they have it like a second nature now to 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 raft. When you say they grew up in the river, like you mean before they even met your dad, they grew up oh, in the yeah. river. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they have this little plot of land right next to the river and then this guy comes up, buys the land. They were little kids, so he just taught the the oldest one how to how to guide, how to kayak. And then one by one, he started teaching all of them until they were uh, old enough. And all of them worked worked with uh, Rios Tropicales, and they still guide to this day. They have their own company, uh, the Five Brothers. And that's what he did with everybody around the community. It, it, people searched for him, and they, they took this little school that he, that he created where uh, an older guy guide that was already trained by him would take them down the river uh, time and time again for a couple months maybe and they would teach him how to guide most of the of the guides uh that that he had were people from the area from the Turrialba area and to this date most of the guides there still guide let's move into the columbia story i, I find this to be fascinating probably because i just just personally, I paid attention to a lot of, of Latin American news and history uh, because of my own interests. And so when I when I read this story, I mean, there's just so many questions in, in this story. If you both can, tell me about how this evolved and what was going on with the working and teaching in Colombia. And I recognize it, it. I think it's pretty recent that it just was in the last few years. Well, my dad got approached by a friend of my sister's who worked in the United Nations. He had this idea 
that there was this group, a group of the FARC army in Colombia, that they were dropping their weapons and they were starting to do a rafting uh, thing down a river called the Rio Pato. So we, he approached uh, my dad with this idea and he told him, uh, why don't you come out here to Colombia and teach him how to actually raft or see how they're doing. So my dad, without really knowing anything, uh, he didn't have too much information about where he was going, what he was actually doing. And he actually told me to tag along. So I went with him and we went down to this area called Miravalles, which is technically a like a safe house of the FARC that they used, a big plot of land. So it's very undiscovered. And uh, so we flew there through the United Nations, like for safety regulations and, and all that, we had to go with them. We got to this beautiful, beautiful area of really undiscovered uh, rainforest. And that's where, thinking about it, that's where most of the war had happened between the, the guerrilla in Colombia and the, and the government. And we got to meet these amazing people who were part of the, of the FARC army, but that's because that's how they grew up. That's what they were told that they were meant to do. Uh, so that's the only notion of, of life that they had. And it was very impactful to, to be there with them. It was also great to see that they voluntarily dropped their weapons and wanted to do something else to be involved with the community. And especially this group in Miravages wanted to take up rafting. So my dad and I, they took us down the river to El Rio Pato and was actually probably the first time anybody outside of Colombia had gone down this river. They had been taught by uh, this guy who really didn't know too much about rafting. He was mostly a canyoneering guy, but they knew the basics. But my dad got there. And they were asking him questions about how to raft, all this stuff. Uh, they even asked him to do the safety talk and all this stuff. So you could tell they were not very experienced in rafting, but they were very, very excited just to take us down the river. So we separated each on, on one boat and uh, we went down the river. And uh, they, they told us at the beginning, it's just a class three maximum. Um, so especially we went down at like at 3 p.m. So I was already getting dark. It was not the best time, but we were going down the river and we started realizing it's not class three, it's class four, very technical river, very big holes, very dangerous. And honestly, the guides that were taking us did not really know how to guide. So it was a, there was a moment of a very scary uh, experience that, oh, wow, uh, this is a very scary situation where we're going down a river with guys that don't really know how to raft. So thankfully, each of us were in a different boat and we kind of took charge of the guiding and we just took the guides down the river. And at the end, that's where my dad just said, like, uh, you guys need to learn properly uh, because you have the passion to do it. You just don't have the tools to do it. So that's uh, where he told them that he was gonna send two of his own guides, one of the best guides up to Colombia. And that's what he did three years ago, I think it was, where he sent these two guides to live with them for, for some time, and they taught them how to guide. They did. They learned perfectly. The main six guys and one lady, they became the core team, and they started teaching everybody else. And now they have, I think, about 30, 35 people guiding there. And they did it under the safety regulations and the teachings of my dad and his guides. And they also got the opportunity to go down to the Australian Rafting Championship, 
because that's my dad wanted to prove that these guys were for real. They dropped their weapons. They were from the FARC army, but that, now they're guides and they learned in two, three years. And now they're here in a rafting championship. And it was, it's a really cool experience to have lived because it's a very different notion. Like you never know that you're living in a, in an army. Like sometimes they told us, uh, don't go walking alone because there could be um, mines or or stuff down the, the forest that they had because they had to cover their tracks for anything. So it was a very scary situation, but it was very controlled and the people there were amazing. They told us stories about everything. They were very open. It's been amazing to see them grow as, as people and as guides. And uh, thankfully, I'll have the opportunity to go back again in November to Colombia. They will be holding a festival under my dad's name. They wanted to honor him because he's the, the one that taught him how to guide. And they created their company and they now are rafting down the Rio Pato, which is an impressive, impressive river close to the Pacuari. And now people have the opportunity to go to this area, which was off limits completely. It's really interesting to see to see that play out, and I'll be very interesting to see how it everything is now that I go back in November. So, so when your dad, when when Rafa, uh, when <laughs> it's a great story. So when you two go down the river, and you know it's the class three, but it's not really class three, and it's getting dark, um, and and that trip ends, and you come back. I'm assuming you come back to camp, and your dad's like, "Hey, there's something ought to be different. Let's improve your training." And I have these folks I'll send down. Was the reception by the FARC members, the ex-FARC members, um, were they appreciative of that? Or were they kind of like, hey, don't tell us what to do? No, they were, they were super appreciative. And they just wanted to learn. So they had that, that passion and that yearning to learn. So as soon as my dad, they, they could see that he knew what he was doing when he took control of the boat. And he, and he could do stuff that they didn't know how to do. So they were really like, teach us, really teach us, please. And uh, actually, the second day, we were supposed to go down the river again uh, because they wanted to keep us keep going down the river. But my dad instead told them, no, we're going to stay here in this eddy. I'm going to teach you how to eddy in, eddy out. And that's we spent the day doing that. And um, they also had a kayak down there. And I took the kayak and I started just doing like a safety kayak. And they were like entranced of what I was doing in a kayak. So they just came next to me and they were like, teach me how to do that. So I just started teaching them how to roll, just the very basics. And they were like really, really into it. And they just wanted to jump into the kayak and go down the river. So you could see the passion that they had, that they wanted to really do it well, but they just didn't have the right tools. So they were really appreciative of, of the idea that my dad could send some people to really teach him. And Shannon, you had, you sent me an article, um, about this and and Roberto the article speaks that it, it talks about that Costa Rica doesn't have a military which I forget that and and maybe you could speak to that a little bit but that because you grew up in Costa Rica in a country that doesn't have a military and then you go to kind of a, a not kind of you go to a war camp a guerrilla war camp that it was uh, fairly I'm going to use the word intense for you um, maybe you have a different adjective uh, can you talk about that a little bit? You know, what was that like for you to transition from this kind of a more intentionally peaceful country to a organized yet very remote war setting? 
and then to also transition into this place of observing and teaching and befriending people who are simply humans that have been doing things different than you have. If you can just kind of talk about all that mixture. Yeah, thankfully, I had the opportunity to live in a country like Costa Rica where there's no military, so I, I don't know that oppression. Uh, but I do, I've had a little interaction, like in the U.S., there's still an army, and I've lived there for a while. So I know about an army and how, how they deal. But when we went down to Colombia, uh, like I said, we, my dad didn't even have the full information of what he was doing or what he was to expect. And of course, he didn't tell me. So I was just tagging along. So I went with a very clear mind that I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. So as soon as I got there, I started listening to these stories. They told me about uh, what they did during the war. Uh, some were runners, some were gunmen, and they had very, very intense stories. It was an intense situation because we had to be with them at all times. We couldn't deviate from, from areas because there were control points. There were different areas that we couldn't, that were completely off limits, but we got to live with them in their community. And there was a very nice thing that they did that uh, I think it was the second night that we all sat around the campfire and we just started uh, talking. And one of the guys just stood up and say, uh, I want to say what I'm thankful for. And, and he just started saying that he was thankful for my dad being there, teaching them and all that. And we went one by one doing that. And when we got to, to us, we were like, I'm very thankful just for you guys to let us in and telling us all this very vulnerable stories and very real stories and I remember when I had a chance to to speak up I just said I'm very thankful that I came with a, a blank mindset without expecting anything so uh, I I was able to receive a lot of stuff without any negative feedback and I got to to break it down and 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 really live in it and yeah after once I got back to to Costa Rica it was a very intense situation, but I didn't realize it at the moment because they were very, they were very caring. They were great people and they never made us feel uh, in danger at any point. It's hmm, fascinating. Shannon, do you have anything you'd like to add into this? I'll just add a little bit of context. When Rafa went, it was 2018 and he went in his role as the honorary president of the International Rafting Federation. That gave him kind of a, a title and credibility as well that that lent to the situation and i want to share a bit of a story about how they got to the world championship that was held in australia is when rafa went back for their graduation after they had been trained by uh, rafa's two top guides and they got trained to international rafting federation standards for that specific river. That's how they could do it for that specific river in Colombia. But Rafa said that when, you know, they finished the graduation ceremony and, and he had some certificates made and he gave them each their certificates that they had passed and they, they were now certified rafting guides that they looked at him with such intense, you know, faces of hope and excitement and joy that he said, it just can't stop here. So without even consulting anyone, he just invited them, which is, you know, true Rafa style. He just said, you're all coming to the International Rafting Federation World Championship in Australia, and I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> and he did, you know, that's just Rafa, you know, he, he just made things happen. He dreamed big and he 
and he made it happen. You know, the UN got on board and there was so much that had to happen. I mean, these were ex-FARC guerrillas. Peace was relatively new-ish happening in Colombia. And they were trying to re-socialize all of these ex-FARC guerrillas back into society. They'd never even been to Bogota, you know, the capital of Colombia. And they weren't even permitted to leave the country as ex-FARC guerrillas. So a lot of coordination had to happen. They had to lobby the Colombian government. There was, just before they went to Australia, there was this ceremony in Bogota. So now you have all these, you know, this team of eight and they flew to Bogota. So their first time on an airplane and their first time going to their own capital in, in their own country. And here they were being honored by the Colombian government because they were called the rafting team for peace. Just the political ramifications are just extraordinary. You have these guerrillas who had been fighting the government, you know, for their lives just because of where they grew up and that's what you know they were doing and now the colombian government is honoring them and letting them out of the country and they had to sign these special permissions to get out of the country and the uh guy from the un mauricio went with them you know he was like their chaperone and then they flew to australia and in australia there's actually a big population apparently of colombian people who fled during the what was it 50 years of civil war who lived in Australia. When they got to Australia, there were all of a sudden all of these receptions of Colombians who had had to flee their own country because of people like these ex-FART guerrillas. So you had this extraordinary healing of this rafting team for peace now healing with Colombian expats in Australia, in every city that they stopped in on their way to out to the Tully River where the championship happened. And so completely changed their lives and changed a lot of people's lives in the process. And they participated in the rafting championship as the team for peace. And Rafa was their coach out on the river. And on a day off during the competition, about an hour's drive away apparently was the coast none of them had ever seen the ocean before in their entire lives. And so the, Rafa organized a day trip to bring the whole team out to the ocean and to see the ocean for the first time in their lives. You know, it's just, just amazing stuff, right? It's, but it's like everyday stuff for Rafa, <laughs> but it's amazing stuff for the rest of the world. And I want to add to that story about Australia that there was, like Shannon said, there was this great reception from Colombians in, living in Australia. And I didn't have the opportunity to go, but my dad came with a story that one of the girls that was living there, her sister or one of her family members was actually captured by the FARC. And it was a very real thing for them in Colombia to, to have this danger. And uh, her sister was captured for, for some time and she was meeting this ex-guerrilla FARC members. And, and he told me that they had this, this great conversation, this great healing process of just talking it out. And she did not see them as the bad people that did that. It was just under the situation that they were in. And he told me that it was a great experience to, to just see them share that story and actually hug at the end. That's so interesting. All right, well, let's keep moving. Um, trees. <laughs> trees 
Uh, Rafa planted some trees. Uh, yeah, tell me. Tell me about Almost this. Almost 31,000, but yeah. Yeah, when you say <laughs> 31,000, is that like like collectively the efforts that he organized, or is that like his hands on 31,000? No. Yeah. yeah, no, no. Collectively. It, over the years since he bought the first property, the, the farm that Roberto was saying where the uh, family was, then that's where he built his lodge that's on the Pacquari. And he turned around and hired the family to run the lodge and taught the kids how to reforest the land because it had been cleared for pasture land. And so those kids all grew up not only learning how to how to raft, but they also learned how to reforest from the very beginning. Rafa taught them to collect seeds out of the forest and then and then to plant the trees and they had a little nursery and everything else. So collectively over time, I mean, there's been some really big campaigns like in 2011, uh, they planted 3000 trees to make the IRF World Rafting Championship that was held in Costa Rica that year to make it carbon neutral. It was considered to be the first sports event ever made carbon neutral. And then in uh, 2016, they planted 5000 trees to make the adventure travel trade Association uh, World Summit that year that was in Anchorage, Alaska to make that carbon neutral. And then just this past weekend, we planted almost a thousand trees in honor of Rafa. He also used this company and he had tourists to be part of the, of the adventure pack. He would take them to the farm to plant trees. So every tourist that came down to the lodge, they would have a little impact about planting trees. So he also taught not only the guides, but the tourists to have this reforestation uh, mindset. And, you know, I think I, I can assume why tree planting is important, but why, why was tree planting so important to Rafa? He would always, always uh, love to say, I'm planting this tree, not for you, but for my grandkids. So that's what he wanted. I think what he, he really longed was to create a legacy, not for his children, but for his grandchildren and uh, pass on that they have to keep doing something, uh, not for themselves. So take off that selfish mindset and start thinking about two, three uh, generations down the line. As well, Sam, Costa Rica was one of the most deforested countries by sort of the mid 1980s. And so you had the Costa Rica National Parks being created. You had all of a sudden this switch of instead of deforesting, reforesting. And it really, really got going in the 90s. And so there was, there's been a mass movement as well in Costa Rica to reforest pasture land, especially on private properties. That was where it was led the force to bring back Costa Rica's forest cover. And so since the early 80s, where Costa Rica had been deforested down to like 26% forest cover. It's now, it's like at 55% forest cover. In the first portion of this interview, we've talked a lot about the human relations, guiding, international relations with rivers, etc. Since Rafa has passed, there's a new organization, the Rivers and Forest Alliance, acronym of Rafa, same as the nickname of Rafael, which is Rafa. Can you tell me about this organization, what it's doing, what it will do, why, who's in charge, those things? So last year, Rafa was fighting pancreatic cancer in 2020. He was diagnosed with that in January of 2020. And then the pandemic hit 
you know, as the world knows, all of a sudden his rafting company came to a complete screeching halt and there was nothing going on. He wanted to turn his sights to creating a conservation organization that would live on. And Rafa wanted to protect the Pecuari River, the whole river basin from its source to the sea. That's the point. So our mission statement is that the Rivers and Forests Alliance is dedicated to preserve, protect, and regenerate Costa Rica's Pecuari River Basin, its forests, and biodiversity, together with our communities for a sustainable future. And Rafa was very focused on several things, on conservation, on reforestation, protecting the biodiversity, environmental education. He'd already done uh, projects in the community with that and wanting to expand that. Scientific research, because Rafa wanted to position the Pecuari River. He knew of its beauty, but there hadn't been very many studies done in the Pecuari River. And if you think about the major conservation areas in Costa Rica, the two that get the most popularity or, or most focus or attention are the Monteverde Cloud Forest and the Osa Peninsula. And the Pecuari River region has amazing biodiversity and amazing flora and fauna in, out there, but there haven't been many studies. So Rafa wanted to position the Pecuari River to be just as important as those other conservation areas in the country. Then we wanted to work on regenerative farming and also conservation tourism. You know, the people need to realize that protecting the nature is more valuable than killing it, for instance, hunting or, or cutting down the trees. And so developing tourism businesses more than just rafting, but other, other things like wildlife photography, bird watching, to bring people out there to show that the nature is worth more than, than getting rid of it. So we have our registration for being a Costa Rica nonprofit association in process. And the project that we had this past weekend to plant almost a thousand trees in, in Rafa's name on, on the land was our first project. And the trees are all native hardwood species, specifically good to grow in the, in the Pecuari River Basin area. And many of them, like the mountain almond tree, are specifically food of the endangered great green macaw that Rafa was instrumental in bringing back to the Pecuari River Basin. And what will be your two, you both have roles in, in Rafa, the organization, what will your roles be? So we both have like a, a joint uh, executive director. We, we both manage different, uh, different aspects of uh, Rafa. I'm mostly the project and um, the project director and Shannon's mode, the communications, and she gets all the contacts that, that my dad had because she, worked with my dad for so many years that she knows everybody and yeah we, we've been doing this uh, like that just the two of us uh, but there's also the board of directors that have been helping us out and there's mostly family and friends of my dad's that have made it possible who have shared uh, the, the dream that my dad had and have shared experiences with him so they believe in the project and that's the people that we want backing up. Yeah, and I want to add that we're being greatly supported, greatly supported by the Costa Rica National Alliance of Rivers and Watersheds. They've been a massive support to us in getting going and have helped us develop uh, a scientific investigative investigation committee 
that's aligned with the National University of Costa Rica. And um, we're also being, you know, a lot of support is coming out of the International Rafting Federation and um, recently the International Whitewater Hall of Fame. And, and if I may, I'm just going to throw in a plug that the International Whitewater Hall of Fame and the International Rafting Federation have a GoFundMe campaign happening right now. Um, it's on our Facebook page and on the Facebook pages of and Instagram pages of those two organizations to raise funds for the Rivers and Forests Alliance and also sustainability projects for both of the other two organizations are where the funds are going to go. So it the campaign has been in effect since the end of August because the International Whitewater Hall of Fame did a tribute to Rafa in their awards ceremony this year that was held on September 30th in Lyon, France. And the GoFundMe campaign is going through October 15th. So Rafa passed away this spring. And to both of you, I'm very sorry for that. Um, yeah, those are hard moments. I don't expect that you that this has to be a story just about that but i i want to offer it to you um very sincerely offer and, and and no no expectations if would you like to share anything about the end of rafa's life with us for this episode i guess what i would share is he he always lived life to the fullest even in his last couple of years um, he was fighting with a uh, pancreatic cancer and it uh, brought him to a, a screeching stop pretty, pretty hard because he, he's always, he was always a person that was always moving and moving. And for the first time ever, I think he was enclosed in, in a hospital and, uh, well, we got hit by the pandemic. So even harder. Um, so yeah, it was a couple of hard years, but but it didn't matter every time that he was also uh, enclosed or something, that's where, where the Project Rafa, the Rafa Association came up. So you could always see that he was always thinking of something. He always wanted to do something. And um, even to his last days, he was always smiling, telling jokes. He just had a passion for life and he lived it to the fullest. But yeah, it, all, it, it never stopped him to do the stuff that he liked. He still went out with his camera. Uh, he couldn't go out to the forest to take pictures, but instead he went to the garden and the little parks around to take pictures of insects. Um, so he was always looking away to do the stuff that he loved. Um, but just like he always said, we just gotta keep paddling forward hard. A real Pacquari-sized thank you goes out to Roberto and Shannon for their dedication in expressing their feelings and this story. And a thank you to Rafael Gallo's entire family. We appreciate your open grace in this transition. And finally, thank you for letting me use the name of Rafael's coming biography for the title of this podcast episode. The episode notes have links to articles and videos about Rafael Gallo, Rio Stravacalis, the Rafa Association, their GoFundMe page, and the other international organizations mentioned in this episode. Email the River Radius podcast anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. There's a poem that was written about Rafa in 2019 by a poet in Costa Rica by the name of Minor Arias. It links Rafa with the Pacuari River. 
to Rafael Gallo Palomo, guardian of the planet. In your eyes is the real Pacuari, rapid and calm, full of life, born in the mountains of Quereci and looking for the land of Ara. The poem compares Rafa to the Pacuari River. They were one. It just flowed through his soul. <laughs>